a lot of IBS I've found and I've learned is linked to shame, feelings of shame, and you feel it in your gut. Now, I um, I was right right before I was diagnosed with IBS. I was a single mom, pregnant. Now, I didn't really feel ashamed, but I do feel like your family shames you. People in the store shame you when they look, they see you're pregnant and you're not wearing a ring. Um, so you, when you're you internalize that in your gut, you know? Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. What is going on, my friends? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We are talking with someone who has actually become a pretty good friend of mine through all these events that we do for FDN. Her name is Kim Del Castillo, and we'll be talking about her story today, IBS, her journey with that, and now how she has been able to resolve it. Before we get into the story, if you don't know and you're listening to this uh, a few days after it came out or maybe even within a week or two of it coming out, we are in the midst of our FDN Summer Open House Month of Events. It is a crazy month here at FDN. We are doing over 20 live events that you can attend. I have the privilege to be able to kind of MC or host a lot of them. I think I'm only missing about two total. And the best part is it's completely free. There is an option that you can pay for that will give you access to the recordings. And it will also give you access to a private Facebook group that has the staff in it, people like myself and others who can answer your questions directly. So that is, I believe it was $37 starting off and then they bumped it up to 50 for people that did not act quickly and they're going to be bumping it up again all the way until like the final amounts I think almost $100 or something so if you're listening to this and you know you're going to want the recordings definitely purchase that now at the current price but again you can attend all the events for free live you just have to be there at the time that we're doing it it is fdntraining.com slash summer that's fdntraining.com slash summer to check it out if you just want to see if you'd even like the events by going to the same URL You don't even have to register. You can just scroll to the bottom of the page and read all of the events that we're doing and the topics that will be shared to make an informed decision as to whether or not that is for you to begin with. So again, that's fdntraining.com slash summer. And of course, I will have that in the show notes for you guys. But yeah, today we're going to be talking about IBS, uh, a little bit of celiac disease, quite a few things going on here. And it's from yet another person who was just kind of going through life, not really thinking about the whole functional and natural thing ended up having health challenges, got super interested in this, went through the FDN course, and now does this as a real business and a real job. I think it's amazing, and we are so lucky to be able to provide people with this transformation of, okay, just going through their normal life, like I said, and then a few years later, they are doing this as 
their career. This is what they get to help people with, and they heal themselves. I think that's about as good as it gets. <laughs> Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right. Hello there, Kim, and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. Finally, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Kim and I have, um, we've gotten to connect quite a few times now, which is really fun and exclusively through conferences because Kim is based out of Austin, Texas area. And uh, we've apparently are just only going to conferences in Austin nowadays in the health space. Like that seems to be the hub for it. And I'm kidding, of course, there's other places, but it's really interesting how many conferences keep getting hosted there. And so Kim always is usually one of our volunteers at the FDN booth. So it's fun. We've gotten to hang out a lot. And then um, we're pretty much it was mainly you and I at the How Do You Health conference, and then she helped me out there as well. So it's cool to finally have you full circle for the the show. Um, and I know that you you have listened to at least some episodes, correct? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Awesome. All right, sweet. So you already have kind of an idea of how it goes and, and the story-based aspect of it. Now, even though you and I have covered a lot of the health journeys together, like our health journeys together, what I always find is when I go into more of a podcast interview format, there's always something to uncover. And certainly the audience doesn't know anything about your story yet. So let's start there. Um, it's the first question that I always ask here. I like to know, when did the health symptoms for you begin? And what did they look like, no matter how long ago that might have been for you? Yeah. So I was 32. Um, and I all of a sudden, you know, just, I was diagnosed with IBS years before, but it never really affected my life. I mean, just the occasional discomfort. Um, and that was when I was 24. Okay. So few, you know, 32 years old, I'm, um, finishing up school. I did like the 20 year graduation plan. So I'm doing school. I'm homeschooling my kids. They actually go to a university model school. They did that. Um, was super academically rigorous uh, college prep school. So university model means they're home some days and they're at school some days. But when they're at home, we're not doing like carefree homeschooling, right? We are doing college prep. You need to do Hmm. this. This is due tomorrow. Like sit down (laughs) and do your work, you know? So that's a little stressful with a toddler and two boys that are doing this, this school and you're wanting to cook healthy and you're, you know, all the things, right? You're the principal, you're the teacher, you're the chef, you're the housekeeper. Um, I had a great, um, still do super supportive husband, but he works shift work. So he's a firefighter. So he wasn't home some days and it was just me and he wasn't home some nights, right? 24 hour shifts. So, um, so I was doing that with the kids, um, and finishing school at night, so staying up till one in the morning writing papers and um, training for a half marathon. I mean, maybe you'll see kind of like how the odd get a brand new house, which is not an issue unless maybe it was built in Austin and might have mold. And you're you're just getting all those toxins. And if you're healthy and you don't have all these other stressors, you know, that doesn't really affect you. Right. And I didn't say swim, swim team, boys, boy scouts and soccer. Okay. So we have all that with a toddler and, um, and I was a little stressed at 32. Right. And I didn't feel it cause I was still juggling all the balls and the cortisol was working for me. Right. Um, but my body knew that I was doing too much. And so it just, um, all those stressors led to 
the IBS really becoming an issue. And, um, you know, this might be TMI, but I had urgent diarrhea up to 15 times a day, which is like, wow. you can't do all those things with that going on. Right. Um, so well, that's mom, almost, like, I'm ahead. sorry to cut you off. Is that almost even dangerous from a dehydration perspective? Oh yeah. I mean, and I like, I was skin and bones. I mean, I, I've always been thin, but I was, um, my hair was dry and I was, yeah, okay. I was super thin, but I had a little bit of a belly, right? Even to where, um, my son who's on the, uh, on the spectrum, he's very black and white. And he goes, mom, like either you need to go to the gym or you're pregnant. And I was like, <laughs> like, are you being prophetic? I don't like, I'm not ready to be pregnant, you know? <laughs> no. And I'm like, why do you say that? He goes, well, you just kind of have a belly. <laughs> Nothing to build okay. your confidence like kids, you know? <laughs> yes. So, um, so I went to the GI doctor um, and, you know, they said, your celiac sprue is kind of high. You might want to cut out gluten. They didn't tell me, like, you have celiac disease and your microvilli are uh, going to be paralyzed. Keep eating it, right? It's like they're, you're getting no nutrition. They They don't go into that. They're just like, your celiac spruce high, cut out gluten. So I did. Um, and then I did an elimination diet. You know, I was always into like detoxes and stuff. So I did that. And then coming out of it, um, well, I didn't, I did the elimination diet, cut out gluten. Coming out of it, I thought, you know, um, I'm gonna have some tabbouleh. That's good. Fresh herbs and, you know, wheat bulgur, whatever, whatever's in there. And instantly, Evan, I was like four months pregnant again, you know, where I'm like, okay, this is, this is a thing. Um, so I cut out gluten, um, and psoriasis that i had had for 10 years went away. My arthritis went away. Um, I didn't have always arthritis. I had, um, pizza and cookies arthritis. So if I need either of those, I have arthritis in my wrist. And so, um, so yeah, I'm like, this is, this is my thing. This is food is what is making me so sick. And it was, you know, I'd kind of noticed with my son when he was younger, if he didn't eat what I fed him, he'd come home with like dark circles, you know? And so food really is, is my family's thing. Right. And our auto okay. things are, are linked with it. Yeah. All right. And then just to be clear here, because I always find this part really fascinating because of course this podcast is story-based, but it's supposed to be um, educational with these stories. And I think one thing to already learn here is, okay, 32 is when, you know, you initially answered the question as this is when it started, but we go back eight years, which is what, you know, a fourth of your life at that point, that's when the IBS diagnosis happened. And then you had talked about the psoriasis for 10 years. So was the psoriasis even earlier than the IBS or am I incorrect in the timeline? Psoriasis was, yes, earlier than the IBS. Um, okay. And and th this is something I didn't know if I if I kind of go into it or not, but um, a lot of IBS I found and I've learned is linked to shame, feelings of shame, <laughs> and you feel it in your gut. Now, I um I was right right before I was diagnosed with IBS, I was a single mom pregnant. Now I didn't really feel ashamed. But I do feel like your family shames you. 
people in the store shame you when they look, they see you're pregnant and you're not wearing a ring. Um, so you, when you're, you internalize that in your gut, you know? And so right after having this son, who's like a gift, who's awesome, you know, he's 23 now, right after having him was the first time I was diagnosed with IBS. Hmm. You know, and I think what, because you did not mention that. So thank you actually for sharing that because I really appreciate when people get on here and they're just like transparent about what was going on in their mind at the time because that's the stuff that relates to people. But no, you and I have talked about it before privately, but yeah, no, it's, I've never heard anyone say that on the podcast and it makes total sense. Um, it's actually really, and I'm sure there's a variety of reasons for this, but it's very common to hear a story of a woman being pregnant or giving birth and then uh, a diagnosis comes out, right? Yeah. So, it, and especially with like the thyroid stuff, that happens a lot. But my original point too is okay, so the psoriasis was even before the IBS. So, before we really start getting serious about the health stuff or, or looking at it as a major issue, there's over 10 years of things going on. Um, and then I'm curious. So, you know, youth and teenage years, were, did you have stomach issues or random headaches or skin stuff? Or did you feel overall pretty good in youth and teens? I felt pretty good. I didn't have acne, okay. you know, I didn't really have things going on um, gotcha. when I was young. Okay. So still, all right, we have about 10 years before the major stuff starts coming out, depending on how you define major. And uh, I think this is, this is one of always the biggest learning experiences for people on this sh listening to the show. This stuff has warning signs. Like there's always something going on beforehand normally. And some of the stuff gets looked at as small. Like if you just have a patch of psoriasis and you go into the doctor, that really is not looked at as a big deal. Well, it's like, okay, well, there could be an autoimmune component to that. Not always, but um, some of it can be autoimmune. And it's certainly a warning sign from the body, if nothing else. So that's that check engine light popping on. And what we will get told a lot of the times by Western medicine is, you know, put the cream on it or whatever. And that is the equivalent, basically, of putting the tape over the check engine light. Well, that's not going to work long term, but it can stall us for a few days or a few weeks <laughs> until whatever problem is going on that's leading to the light popping up, you know, it leads to something else manifesting. So uh, definitely a, a lesson in and of that. And so you started out with the gluten thing, which thankfully was actually recommended by a Western person. How did that help evolve into you becoming like an FDN practitioner? Now, I know there's probably quite a bit in that transition, but you weren't like doing the natural health thing before this. So how did a simple recommendation of removing gluten lead to like studying natural health and what did the next steps look like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I honestly think that was divinely appointed, right? Where mm -hmm. I, I, this light bulb goes off and I, and I kind of suspected that food had more to do with, you know, at least my son coming home with, you know, dark circles under his eye. But, um, but removing that and feeling such a weight lifted off from just one food. Right. Um, and I love bread. I like, I love bread. Um, and a year later, dairy was gone and I love cheese, but like when, when you feel better and you feel more alive in your body and you have the energy and you, you don't get bloated after every meal and you don't have to run to the bathroom and that's embarrassing, you know? And it, and it, it really um, was debilitating because I couldn't go for a walk with my family. Like we used to hike around and, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, I can't, I can't go in. I don't want to drive to the coast because when we're waiting for the ferry, there's no bathroom. I mean, you could become really conscious of like, where am I going to be able to get to the bathroom quickly? Yeah. Um, 
And so to go from that to feeling good and being able to go out and do things and not stress about, you know, finding a bathroom, it's, it's, it's worth it, right? And then so you're starting to look into other things like, well, what about paleo or what about eating raw or vegan? Or, I mean, I've tried them all, right? And mm-hmm. and um, some of it has been beneficial and some of it has not been, you know? <laughs> so that's just based on your bio-individuality. You know, some people thrive on paleo, some people thrive on keto, some people thrive on vegan. I don't know, you know, if you can right. make it work. Right. But yeah. So just, I play around with food. That's what I like to do now. Yeah. It's a, it's a side note for now, but again, this is what's nice about being friends before the podcast, because you can go on side notes without it being rude. It's more just fun. The vegan thing's tough because I have seen, it's almost like there, there's something there, but it's just missing a component or two, which is probably the meat. But there, it's actually kind of sad. I now have the second person in my life that was raw vegan long term, like over 10 years, and they passed away prematurely, despite having had initial results that were amazing. Um, so it was a really, it, again, really good friend of mine. She was the first person I ever did a professional talk with. Um, loved her to death. And it was so funny because she passed away at like 62 years old. So we looked so funny hanging out because we really hung out as friends. Like we would just go grab coffee together. Um, but she had so much life in her, so much energy, you know, and I'm hanging out with her at like 21 years old. She was probably late fifties at the time. And we just got along so well. Um, and that, that's what was weird too, because if you looked at her from the outside, she actually looked great. Um, she looked healthy and young and she had the vibrancy and she had the energy and yet she got destroyed, um, health wise in a very rapid period of time. And she passed away, uh, just late last year. It was like in late December. And again, she was only early 60s. So that was super weird. That's not even the life expectancy. And I mean, look at how most Americans are living. And then my friend, uh, Angelo, he owned a really high quality, uh, juice shop and like, he made all these special tonics for people. He made something, man. I, I tore my ligament in my wrist and he made this special concoction for me for anti-inflammation and like healing. I really, he was a pharmacist before this and then got transitioned. Uh-huh. And this guy looked probably 25 years younger than he was. His skin was perfect. And he passed away from a heart attack at like 58. And so you you see these people though. And I'm like, okay, they were so full of life for their age. They looked fantastic, but then they end up dying in very sudden fashion. So, um, the vegan thing's so tough because it seems like there's something there, like they're getting something yeah. from it that's working, but it's missing that component. And, you know, Connie, my friend cured breast cancer with this. She did not go to Western medicine. Yeah. She went down to yeah. the Hippocrates Healing Institute in Florida, went there, healed breast cancer. And so if you get a breast cancer diagnosis and it goes away from a raw, a raw vegan diet, what are you probably going to eat like the rest of your life? Yeah. Of course, you're going to eat raw vegan. You're scared. Yeah. I get, I can sympathize sure. with that. Um, it's just sad that, you know, sometimes those things happen. So forgive me, but yeah, you know, no, I, I gotta, I'm sorry. It doesn't come up enough on the show, actually. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That. But, you know, um, I started doing a vegan, uh, juicing and, um, ended up doing like soups, pureed soups to heal something. And it was amazing for me. And I, mm-hmm. um, went back to it a couple of years ago and it like killed all my thyroids. Well, not my, hmm. not my thyroids. All the Three thyroids. <laughs> Not my, th- my thyroid's fine. Thankfully, <laughs> nice. um, stay fine. Um, no, my yeah. hormones just all went to pot, you know, because I wasn't supporting them. So it's like, you might, you might be able to do 
and I wasn't just doing raw vegan. I was doing soups and stuff too, right? But you might be able to go vegan for a time for healing. Um, but what I want people to kind of realize is just because something sustains you at some point in your life, it might not sustain you at another point in your life. And I'm honestly, especially if you're a woman, um, but I think it applies for men too. All the food studies are done on men because women were basically like four different people. You know, we have our different cycle times and um, we're really hard to study. They didn't start studying women till, I believe it was 1997 for these health related wow. studies. Yeah. Um, so men are easier. So when you, when you hear the science about fasting and now we have, um, we have women that are experts on that, right? I forget her name, Wendy something. There's people that, that are, that have studied it now, but, um, general dietary and workout guidelines are based on studies done on men. We're different. We're not the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, it, well, I guess that's a whole separate thing that's maybe not important for today, but I do agree with that. I didn't know the thing about that makes sense, I guess. I didn't know not know that women were studied that much later um than men. And it's it's obviously different because even if we just look at kind of like a historical theoretical perspective, I've always thought this is a reason that some of my female friends seem like when I have a male that goes vegan, it's like they change their personality. Like they really don't seem to do well at all universally. Um, maybe they look good. That's about it. But like something changes in them where like certain women do seem to be able to maintain it longer. And then I think about this from like a, a nature perspective. I'm like, okay, well, if the men, if the theories are correct and the men were going out and hunting and the women, you know, were supposedly protected and stayed with the the babies and stuff like that, well, maybe the women were foraging while the men were hunting, right? And it would make sense that the men almost like have longer fasting times, first of all, and they're going to get more meat in their diet probably. Whereas like the women, yes, they'd have meat, but you know, they're scavenging throughout the day. And that's Ev theory. Don't <laughs> quote me on that one. I haven't read a study on that, but I've always thought like maybe that's why they seem to do a little better than men would when they go vegan, but it's a separate thing. So what did you end up finding overall uh, that's been most beneficial for you diet wise? And I know some of that's probably been learned through FDN. So if if you find it appropriate, we can transition to the FDN side because I'm also curious, like how long it took from 32 years old to go to FDN. So I know that's like seven questions in one, but <laughs> yeah. So um, 32 finished my, um, my degree in communications with honors um, because I wasn't, you know, there when I was in my twenties. And, um, so again, working super hard at my own schooling, my children's schooling. Um, but then just, just researching and talking to people who were kind of already in a, a you know, a health mindset with food or just trying different things. Paleo was pretty hot back then. So I tried that, you know, um, but but now, what question am I answering? How like yeah, no, maybe I shouldn't corn? Have... Corn is a big trigger for me. So MRT is the lab I like to run, um, and I ran it a couple of years ago, and then I just did it again because actually, and I'm pretty sure it's because I just went to New York City and they have small kitchens. I got psoriasis on my arm. I haven't had it, in, you know. Hmm. So I'm like something cross contamination. I'm sure. But let me just check and see what shows up. And what I thought was was cool was to see the similarities, right? So wheat used to be red. So systemically, 
I was on fire, right? But we know wheat bothers my gut, so I wasn't eating it. That's another thing I like about the MRT. You don't have to be eating it for it to show up. Um, but this time, through some gut healing and stuff, wheat showed up as yellow. So systemically, wow. not as much of an issue. Awesome. But corn is still there and millet's still there. Um, and so I, I kind of like to see um, the similarities. Now, and funny enough, the arthritis came back. So haven't had that in years. So like I'm thinking leaky gut, I'm back where I was. But luckily I've, I've done some healing, um, but solanine showed up, right? So now nightshades. Um, which is linked to rheumatoid arthritis. And um, so for just for three months, I've got to remove that stuff and try to reintroduce it, right? So um, so that's what I'm doing right now. Nightshade-free, gluten-free, soy-free, nice. dairy-free. Yeah. Nice. I can't imagine that I would be trusting anywhere in New York City. So that's tough because if like you're going out with friends or family or whatever, it's like, what are you supposed to do? Like not have anything. But yeah, I mean, I'm only, as you know, an hour, 20, hour and a half from there and it's just the city's just overwhelming in and of itself. It's enough being there is enough to give you a freaking psoriasis outbreak, let alone eating their food. Like it's just, it's a lot. So, um, okay, cool. Thank you for answering that question. The other thing then would be how long did it take from you going and realizing, wow, like, all right, food really does matter more than just the intuitive thing that you had with your son, but like realizing, no, it matters for me. This is making a major difference in my health to becoming an FDN practitioner. Did you get any other certifications along the way? I actually don't know that. Um, did. Or did you just find FDN? Yeah, I did. So um, I went to Institute of Integrative Nutrition. Okay. Um, and what I love about that, so that's a coaching school. So you learn how to, how to coach clients. Um, and they really incorporate um, the lifestyle. So their pillars of um, primary food is like career and relationships and finances and things like that, right? right? Um, and you do a lot of mindset work when you're doing the school. So as I was going through that school, um, I was doing a lot of inner work. Um, and I'd already signed up for FDN because I'm like, I want to, I want to coach people and I want to run the labs. Like I want to do, I don't want to just um, help them reach their goals through talking, which I do that because I am a coach. Right. But I want to show them this is what's going on because I think people like the labs, you know, they like to, see yeah. it. they don't want to just trust you that, you know what I'm saying? They want to like, see yeah, it. it matters too. Both yeah. of them matter. Both of them matter. Yeah. And so, um, but, but the last healing part, like the last part of my healing journey was actually, um, in that transition when I signed up for IIN and FDN and I knew the labs were going to help, but the mindset where I realized this, a lot of my gut things are in my head and, you know, I'm like, um, I was pretty well healed, but not completely. Um, but, you know, I had anxiety because when you're rushing to a bathroom, you know, that you, and you, if you even feel like you need to go to the bathroom, all of a sudden you get hot and you get to like, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm getting anxious. Well, then I learned how to breathe through that and how to do intentional deep breathing and then just right. switch my mindset like this. This is not my issue anymore. Like I'm going to drop this because I'm telling myself this story, you know, that um, I've done the work for the healing, but your mind has to get to that place of healing as well. Yeah. You know, I, 
actually, I know that identically. Just I shouldn't say identically because it was a different condition, but it's almost weird how much the mindset stuff can still matter. I, I will never forget the first time that I had an experience with that. And I said something to my friend. It was like four years ago, maybe. And I said something about acne. I said, oh, well, like, you know, I said, like, someone like me or someone with this or whatever I said. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you know, like with the skin issues and stuff, he's like, dude, your skin looks great. Like, what are you like? Certainly no worse than any average 20 year old. You know what I mean? And it was it was a realization that, oh, wow, I'm perceiving myself. I mean, and that was a physical thing that you think I should or shouldn't be able to see in the mirror. But in my head, like any acne meant like one pimple meant just as bad as I was before. And you've seen my transformation photos. Those are obviously one pimple is nowhere close to what that was before. But I had it in my head that, no, that's who I am and that's what I have. And man, those identities, that gets a little scary because you can maintain symptoms sometimes that don't belong with you anymore. They're not there, but you're, you're thinking that it exists. I actually looked it up. I don't think I had this to be clear, but there is something called acne dysmorphia and it's kind of like, or dysphoria maybe, excuse me. Um, it's like the body dysphoria thing. So you know how like bodybuilders sometimes will literally not believe that they're massive, even though they walk around bigger than 99% of people and they keep needing to gain weight. And similarly, you could have someone suffering with anorexia who believes that they keep need to losing it. I keep need to losing weight to lose weight. And with the acne side, what happens is it's people who had severe cases, they think that they still have really bad skin when everyone else like, dude, you look fairly normal. You're not a GQ model, but you know, you look better than than you did before. And I was like, wow, I didn't think that could happen to me. But yeah, I mean, this is something that people don't talk about with the mindset side. So how did you, how did you get past that? Um, you know, um, talking to myself differently. Um, so this is a cool part about being an FDN and being in this holistic space is, you know, we're not like, here's your diagnosis and here's your pill. I'll see you in a year. Right. We're like working with people and we're listening. We're listening to them with intentionality. Like what are, what are you saying and what are you not saying and what you're saying? Right. But, but you, um, you have these, these paths that go to like, I am this, I am this. And it starts from when you're a kid. Some of the things you don't even, you don't even know, you know, the, the things you're telling yourself. So just, um, I was just being intentional in, on my walks, um, in my quiet time, listening to anything negative and, and, and honestly just saying to those, those negative things, like, that's not me. Like I'm a positive person. So I don't know where that's coming from, but that's not coming from me. So just rewiring those pathways um, and then do, you know, I do brain tap. I love brain tap, you know, to just like get those positive messages in your head. And that, thank you for that. Cause you were like, you have to try this. Like, <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Patrick Porter, baby. Like, yes. So. Yeah. So, I mean, using tools is helpful if you can't do it on your own. You know, some people write notes on their mirror, but just anytime you hear that negative voice or that voice, that's like, you know, you suffer from IBS. I'm like, no, I don't like I've done the healing. Right. And so that, um, I, I was just driving to a retreat and it was like three hours in the Texas country. And I'm like, I gotta do a reel about this. Like I would never have gone to this retreat where it was so, yeah. It was, I mean, it was like brought peace back to my life, just a weekend of being with women and not having agendas and not having to do things right. 
And um, I wouldn't have done that because I wouldn't have wanted to drive because I would have been like, I need to pull over and knock on that person's door in the middle of the country to use their bathroom or find a tree, you know? So do you just have to, yeah, just, just talking to yourself differently, you know? Yeah. This is why I think too, maybe, and, and I don't want to advise people of something that I actually don't personally do. Maybe I should apply it more, but I'm I'm really big into personal development. As you know, one of the things I never fully adopted was the journaling side. And this is not to say I'm against it. I just, for whatever reason, never did adopt it. But I think journaling or pictures, if pictures are relevant to your case, um, obviously we don't need to see a picture of IBS. Um, but if, <laughs> if you even someone was journaling about it, like, okay, you know, I went to the bathroom freaking 15 times today, but then six months in, you're like, I went six today, right? That's, that's tracking. And I think that can help us with the mindset side. Like that's what helped me when I looked at photos. I like literally did a side-by-side comparison. I'm like, dude, what are you taught? Like, you don't look anything like you looked before. This is unrecognizable. So you need to stop being so hard on yourself about this. And then this one's very tough in the moment. I don't think, I don't know how I would have been able to fully embody this back then. So again, I don't want to speak from a place of ignorance because it's harder in the moment, but also remembering too, that our self-worth is not dictated around these conditions. And again, that's very hard to do with acne because guess what? People will or won't date you if you have a severe case of cystic acne. And that's just biology. I mean, that's fair. But at the same time, my worth as a human being is not less just because I'm dealing with this right now. I'm experiencing something. I can work through it. I'm going to come out stronger on the other side, but I don't need to have less confidence in one-on-one interactions with a a male that I'm not hitting. I'm a heterosexual dude, right? Right. So like, I don't need to also lessen my confidence talking to another straight male. That's, that's crazy. You know, I'm still me and I can bring just as much value to his life and vice versa as friends um, with or without the acne. Now, again, there's objective truths. If I try to go hit on, you know, someone when I had that, no, it probably wouldn't have worked as well, to be dead honest, right? Because it's not particularly attractive, but there's, we don't have to go so extreme with it either and think that everyone looks down on us or like worse at our family. Like I was embarrassed in front of my family as if they give a crap that I have pimples or if your family gives a crap that you had to go to the bathroom, that's not why they love us or care about us. Right. So it's also just remembering too, that our self-worth isn't dictated by these conditions at all. Yeah. And some people like, to be fair, some people of the opposite sex probably saw your personality and not your pimples. I mean, people can overlook things like that. You know, not everyone was like, ah, Face, right? I know. I, I just, I, I try to be realistic and I don't want to, because I don't want to sound too cheesy on the podcast. Like I'm not stupid. Like, I, I mean, this sounds terrible. Probably. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have dated someone or pursued someone that had the level of skin issues that I had. Now it's different if you're with a partner for a while and they develop something. I mean, love can conquer all, but there is biology. There is initial attraction. And I, I totally get that. In fact, the skin, if you think about it from a biological perspective, it's warning the potential mate that, Hey, this person's body isn't doing well. This is not good for procreation. And you and I are are spiritual people. And we actually might talk about that in a little bit, but I I don't want to limit us to just the biology, but that is still a very real aspect of this 3d world. And the skin issues are warning other mates that no, this is not a good person to procreate with because they have so much going on. So, you know, we could cry about it or we could not let it dictate our self-worth and look at it as a, as a growing opportunity. Um, and, and I, th- I think there's a lesson there. And if you come out on the other side, the best part is this was a personal development journey as much as it was a health journey. And I, I say that to everyone, even on um, client calls, right? I'm like, I'm trying to get their mindset before I sell them on an FDN package because 
yes, I, it'd be great to have you in FDN, but I need to make sure your mindset's in the right place because you are going to transform as a human as much as your health will transform. There are things that you're going to have to change right now that'll lead you to success. And as you and I both know, it is not particularly easy to change as a human. We're not, that's not really our <laughs> default state. <laughs> like, look at what we had to go through before we start making the real changes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So when you went through FDN, Kim, um, what, and I don't know if you remember this off the top of your head, but what did you like about the program? Um, if, if you have constructive criticism, we always open up the floor for that. If you don't have any, that's fine, but we always open up the floor for that too. Uh, what did you find on the labs? I'm just curious what your experience was with the FDN program when you were going through it. Yeah, well, I, I love FDN. Um, and I liked, I mean, I surprised myself because I love the science and the data. And I'm like, who am I? You know, but I'm like, I am a, like a data junkie all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, I like, I like how Reed teaches. I mean, he's just, it's just almost as casual as this, except for you're learning deep concepts, right? Yeah. You're just talking and you might like laugh or you know, say, crack a joke. I remember my son walked through and he was like, man, this is the kind of class I'd want to attend. You know, because yeah. <laughs> you're learning deep level things, but it, it's not, um, he's not monotone. You know, it's not like, I've also taken classes where they're just like this, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, can I speed them up? Because no, I can't on this course, but you can on, on read, you can make them go faster or slower if you want, um, <laughs> which is good if you like, because sometimes you wanted to slow down to really write your notes in. And sometimes you, you know, Whatever you want to speed it up because you can get your notes in quick enough. Um, but sure. I love the support as um, as a trainee. You know that there's calls and you're talking to read um, every Friday. I mean, what what other program is the director going to be on? You know, all these years later, he's still. Um, I'm going to get some water. Yeah. Well, I'll, no, I'll add to that. It's okay because that it is nuts that he does that, and I. <clears> hope- and it's not just us like kissing butt or hyping him up. It's like, I mean, this guy is 70 at this point. He has done what he needs to do. I, I shouldn't say FDN can run itself because he's such a, a leader with it that that would be probably incorrect to say. Like, I don't want to I don't want to discredit his vision that he still brings, but he's put some really great people in the right places and they're all FDNs for the most part. So I do believe the company could figure it out even without him. It'd be sad, but we could do that. And yet he still, he shows up for the trainings every week. He shows up for the graduates every week. Like, you're right. Where, where else does that yeah, happen? He likes I, it. He likes it, you know? He yeah. likes to hang out. And so that sets that sets the community up, right? So he's mm-hmm. even at these conferences. I mean, like, his vision and his personality, it, it's transferred down to the trainees, right? Because you're like, this is a school that cares, um, these people want me to succeed. They're giving me tools. I still get tools. I'm in the um, affiliate of the FDNPs now. And I'm still a community. We're colleagues. We're helping each other out. People have questions. They get on there. You know, um, so the community of FDN is huge for me. I mean, and, and working these conferences and then the community there is amazing. And But that that's like a vision a vision caster, right? Where Reed yeah. is, he's teaching, but he's also, he, he'll say like anything you guys want. You let me know, you know, and mm-hmm. when you're in person with him, who says that, you know, he's not, yeah. it's not just, 
FGN's not just, um, it is a business, but, and it is a school, but it's not just that there's, there's something else that's, um, you know, that that's just more personal, like connection. Yeah. And it translates, it, it translates into how the practitioners do their business because there is nothing wrong with charging an appropriate amount when you are doing the right thing and you're providing a good service to people, you know? And I mean, I believe the FDN course certification is grossly underpriced, especially compared to other stuff out there. Um, but even if it was double the price, let's say it, when the intention is correct and when you're actually, again, caring about people that much and making sure that they're constantly getting more value, it, that's the good way to do business. I think a lot of people, and I know our practitioners, unfortunately, uh, a fraction of them kind of get this. They're afraid of the selling aspect. They're afraid of the business aspect. They've been told since day one that anyone who sells anything is inherently like wrong or bad, even though we're constantly selling our way through life. If you've ever dated someone, you are a salesperson. <laughs> if you have ever gotten a job, you are a salesperson. Like that. We, we don't think about it like that, but that's what it is. Um, so then if everyone's subject to being a salesperson of sorts, you can choose to be a good one or you can choose to be a bad one. Bad ones lie. They manipulate. They don't engage in ethical deals or even deals. Or I shouldn't say even. Nothing's going to be even, but it can be fair. A good one tells the truth even when it's not favorable. Um, and they try to make a fair deal even if it's not perfectly even, right? And I think, yeah, that's where Reed... It really spreads down to everyone else. And one of the reasons that the program constantly gets these updates and upgrades mm-hmm. is because he does ask people, yeah. you know, what, what do you want next? What do you want to see? If you go through FDN, you get a, what's called a postgraduate interview. And now finally, finally, they aren't with Reed anymore. Because I'm like, how is this guy still doing this? <laughs> he did him the first, I think it was two or three thousand graduate interviews. Now these are 30 minutes a pop, which doesn't seem like much, but it's like you add that up over time. It's like the dude's done 1500 hours of just post-grad interviewing where he's asking you, where can I do better? Yeah, That's the only reason he has, right. you know, it's like, um, it is cool. And then, and we get lifetime access to all the updates of FDN, which is one of my favorite parts. Yes. Um, these people are going to think I'm lying. Eventually I say my favorite parts are my favorite part for so many different things on this damn podcast. <laughs> I swear it's just because I love FDN. It's not because of lying, yeah. but I'm glad that you found uh, felt supported during the course well, and then also feel not after. to mention the labs included in the course. And then you <laughs> doing R&R's results and recommendations with mentors and kind of learning what it looks like to be an FDN, but learning with you being the client, you know? So you, there's a lot to gain from that as well. And to, to learn where you're, you know, where you are, where your cortisol yeah. levels are and your hormones and, you know, all super interesting. Do you remember anything significant that came up on the labs for you when you went through FDN? Yeah, that's when I learned all my hormones were shot. <laughs> okay, okay. So, got it, got it. Yeah, that, I mean, I was like, whoa, because I wasn't going in, you know, you, your um, gynecologist doesn't necessarily run those labs unless you ask them to. <laughs> I mean, I asked years ago because my friends were like, you need a baseline. I'm like, okay. But she was like, well, what do you want run? I'm like, I don't know. I want a base. Like, I don't even know at this point what hormones are important. And, you know, um, so yeah, there was a lot that came out of that, you know, it made sense why my energy was low and why I was losing muscle mass and doing the same workouts, even doing more. And I'm like, all of a sudden I don't have muscle. Because I didn't have hmm, testosterone, gotcha. you know, it was, <laughs> right. it was going away. So I 
I think it's um it's very nice that one people just get to run the labs while going through the course, but two it's it's very insightful because so many people do come to the course being health oriented. Uh, it's very rare that we get a trainee that this is like the first thing that they did. Normally they have been trying things for years, and it's not to scare anyone, but you'd be surprised by how many people like myself and like him come into this thing and you run the hormone test. You're like, okay. I still have a ton of work to do. And I actually, I rejoice in that personally because I see that as like, okay, cool. There's more opportunities. There's more ways to get better before I get a serious diagnosis or something bad happens long-term. Um, and you know, our, our modern world's very complicated and there's a lot up against us, but I do think if we're intelligent with these tests and we're doing them regularly, it is my personal belief that we can avoid a lot of the more serious things that can come to us in life. And who knows? I mean, again, our, our world's so crazy now with the health stuff that, I mean, I have the window open today and just the air we know is toxic, right? Maybe there's just some things I can't beat, but I think it's fair to say that I have a lot better chance than most people that aren't doing these tests and aren't living um, kind of an FDN oriented lifestyle. So uh, one thing, because I never actually asked you this before, I guess, because you were doing the stay-at-home mom thing. So was your first like career outside of the stay-at-home mom thing being an FDN? Pretty much, yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's cool. <laughs> from mom to FDN, I love it. So yeah. uh, how is that transition? Because we have people that go from employee to business owner that already have enough you know, limiting beliefs and stuff like that for you. That's, that's a major shift. It's certainly, it's less work actually, but it's a major shift in terms of your mindset around what you're doing on a daily basis. So was it intimidating in the beginning trying to get clients? Um, you know, I, um, I'm a bit of a self promoter. I found that out in my Clifton strengths. Like I tell people what I'm doing. I'm not, I tell people I'm just, I'm authentic. Like I just told you about my okay. IBS story, right? I told a bunch of people. I don't yes. even know how many people I just told. <laughs> um, but, you know, I like to tell people what I'm doing. If I'm excited about something, I'm talking about it. So people were watching me and my journey like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm learning this. Um, I'm doing IIN. I'm doing FDN. And so I had like 10 people before I even graduated that sent me some kind of message and said, I want to work with you. Wow. So, um, wow because there's value in, in what we do, you know? And then a lot of people, especially they were pretty much all women, my age, that we've given our whole lives to our kids and we haven't taken care of ourselves, you know, the, the way we should. Right. And so we're exhausted all the time. Like we're, we're fatigued. We, you know, we have symptoms, whatever. Um, so, those 10 people didn't sign up to work with me right away. Right. But um, yeah, it was a little intimidating because um, a, a lot of what you talked about with that sales thing being like kind of icky and like, I want to sell to my friends and I don't want to overcharge them. Um, but my mindset around it now is um, I don't want to overcharge people, but I don't mind selling to people because I'm helping them. Right. Like it, it would be a tragedy to be like, ah, I can't I can't do this and I can't, you know, to, I don't have the tools. Right. And I'm just going to have to send you to someone who who's going to look at you as, as a number. Right. Like you get five minutes to explain all these issues. You know, when I when I do a qualifying call, it usually takes an hour. I do a quick like little blurb if they've been referred and so and so tell you how I work. If not, here's, here's the basic thing. And then I spend an hour just going, 
Okay, so like, tell me more about that. When did that start? And what did that look like for you? What was going on in your life? You know, where I'm really like, and I love it. It energizes me. Um, and, and whether they can afford to work with me at the moment or not, um, doesn't really, it doesn't affect me because I'm, I'm energized by the potential of helping them now or six months from now, or, you know, I'm there like, and they know I'm there yeah. and they know what I can do for them. Um, and you know, you and I've talked about this, but this, this is God's business. And so that's another thing that really takes the pressure off of me because, you know, I just, I pray about it. I'm like, God, bring me people I can help. The people I can't help, I don't want them to sign up because I want to be successful and I want them to be successful. If they're not successful, I'm not successful, right? Um, but if but if this is your business and you're bringing the people that I need to work with, the people that I can reach, I can't reach everyone. I'm not for everyone. You know, I'm, I have a certain personality and I jive with a lot of people, uh, but not everyone. You know, so let those people go to someone that can help them. I don't want to, I'm not trying to get all this business to, to be with people that I can't help. Right. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. and then just giving it to God takes all the pressure off of me because I'm like, you, you know, first of all, you ask, you say, ask for wisdom and I won't withhold it from you. So I'm asking for wisdom on all these people. I'm praying before qualifying calls because that's just who I am. I'm like, everything in my life is because of God. That's how I see it. So this is because of God. Um, I had to go through something painful. But when you go through something painful and something uncomfortable, that's usually when you grow. You know, you either stay stagnant and you stay in that forever or you decide, you know what? This isn't my life. This isn't my destiny. I want to grow. So. Right. I love that. I think it's a, and listen, if, just in case it's someone's first time listening, you know, everyone comes on here and, and shares their story in their own authentic way. That's actually what we want to do. So we have people that take a more new age spiritual approach and talked about mushroom trips and all this stuff. And yeah. I don't even mean it in a funny way. It's like, really, that's, that is their spirituality. And that's totally fine. Um, we have people that are Muslim come on. We have people that, again, kind of new age Buddhist type of thing come on. It, it doesn't really matter to me. I think there's a practical side to what you just said. This idea of almost like, let's say again, you didn't believe this stuff. True. The idea that you are centering yourself and doing some form of prayer or just a nice offering, a talking with something before you're on these calls or, you know, trying to put those thoughts out into the world that, Hey, I only want to attract people that I can help. I don't know. I think there's just, it's like, how can that hurt? Um, I can understand because, you know, I came from actually, even though I'm not anymore, I came from an atheist background. Sure. I can understand how someone doesn't believe that it helps, but how can it hurt? Well, you know, what, what yeah, else are you going to be thinking science, about? Something negative you watch? The science behind having a spiritual practice is mm -hmm. it's, it helps. Now, if it's, I do believe we're made of energy, right? And so if I'm putting positive energy and I'm putting my intentions on something, yeah, that's going to change, you know, um, it's going to change the, the communication and whatever, right there. There's, there's a lot of things too that, um, and I might turn some Christians off here, but there's a lot of things that Christians see as new age. They're not, they've been around forever. Right. And they, it's, um, they've been helping people for, for thousands of years. So things like, quantum physics, you know, our energy and our intentions that matters, mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, so, yeah, I think that, um, and I've never microdosed mush- mushrooms, although it's fascinating <laughs> to me because I've talked to people who have, and I'm like, okay, well, like I want to know more about that, right? But um, we all have different ways that we practice being outside of our like visceral body, right? Or you should, yeah. you know, and it could be journaling. That could be the way you get outside of your, you know, it, it, so yeah, if, if you're, yeah. if you're putting a good intentions towards something, yeah, I think you're going to reap good results. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, like looking at things in that light or looking at things like they happen for a reason, even if you can't prove it still seems to benefit your life long before I developed the spiritual beliefs at like 18 because of books that I was reading, I started to get into this mindset of, okay, what if I just acted like the mental health stuff happened to me for a reason? How would I think, how would I go about my day? And it still led to a better life. Even though at that moment, that real belief, it wasn't there. It wasn't an authentic spiritual belief. It was just a thought. What, what if I acted like this? So your life still ends up being better anyway, and you end up supporting and helping more people. Um, as we are closing out our, our time here a little bit, Kim, one of the things I wanted to ask you, of course, is where people can find you, but also who do you who do you serve? Like, I know that FDNs, we can technically work with a large variety of people, but who is your ideal client? What do they look like? What are they dealing with? Okay. So um, you can find me at Lux Health Style. That's L-U-X healthstyle.com. Um, it's the same handle on Instagram and Facebook, although Instagram is probably more where you'll see me. Um, and my ideal client, you know, I've tried to like niche down, right? Like gut health. I help women in their 40s with gut health and hormone, but I um, attract men and I attract women and um, and I there's no commonality, you know, hives, thyroid issues, um, cancer. I mean, all kinds of things. I don't know. So honestly, my ideal client is someone who is like, I'm sick of taking over the counter drugs all the time for this, this symptom. You know, I'm sick of going to the doctor and not being hurt. I want someone to really pay attention to what is going on in my life and to know me and to give me something that is customized for me, my lifestyle, my results. Um, and, and honestly, it's like the person who's like, how many more Tums can I take? Or, you know, um, I have a client who's, who's taking six Allegra for hives, but still has hives. She doesn't now because she's gone through my protocol, right? So, you know, it's like, if you're taking something for, for whatever's going on and it's not helping you, there's something deeper. And that's what I want to do. And that's my ideal client. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you know, in your 20s or your 50s or your 80s. Are you ready to feel better? Are you ready to optimize your vitality? Like, that's who I want to see. But you have to do the work. I, love it. I, I love don't want to see you if you're not. I want you I want you on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being I will do anything it takes. You have to be a 9 or 10. So mm-hmm. that's my person. Yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Okay, cool. Well, we will have the links that you mentioned in the show notes below. And if you've listened to any of the podcasts fully, I I know not everyone gets through the entire thing, but you'll already know what question I'm about to ask. It is the signature question to finish us up today. And the question is, if I could give you in this case, a magic wand, and you could wave it and get every single person in the world to either do one thing for their health, or you could choose to get them to stop doing one thing. What is the one thing that Kim would get them to do? Huh. One thing is so hard. Oh my gosh. I have like five things. Um, I've had I've had people list off a couple. Okay. So, I won't, so I can do I won't more than one? Because I have a magic wand. I'm gonna off like... the record, you can, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, there, there's, let me give you three things. Um, okay. Get rid of gluten, any form of gluten, um, especially if you live in the United States of America. Um, do deep breathing. That's huge. That is so healing to, to take in deep breaths and to exhale deep breaths and tell your body, I'm not under stress because your brain is like, oh, cool. You're, you're taking deep breaths. You must not be stressed. And it helps your nervous system. And the third thing is when you hear those negative thoughts, tell them to shut up, give it a name. I mean, be like Betsy, like you, you've said enough today, you know, like that's not you don't listen to it. That might be, might've been your parents, your teachers, whatever. It's something, that's not you. So tell that to shut up and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's what I have to say. I love it. Kim, thank you so much for coming on today. And I'm looking forward to uh, whatever next conference we end up doing together. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Thank you.